0: This morning, we will be in the book of Matthew, and we are going to look at verse 42. <clears throat> the title of our sermon this morning is Helping the Hurting, and our keywords are Benevolence, Mercy, and Serve. Now, today, we are focusing our attention on. Benevolence, and specifically our church's role in providing for our community. Each year we have a specific Lord's Day that we devote to thinking about what we call mercy ministry and our church's relationship with our local community in terms of our serving and loving our neighbors in need. Um, Most of you as the church family don't necessarily realize how much mercy ministry we do because you're not here on a day-to-day basis to see that, but the deacons are mainly responsible for this important responsibility and work, and we continue to want to work toward an even more holistic approach to mercy ministry and to continue to serve our community more and more each year. We have helped people um, in things like paying important bills before their utilities are turned off. We've helped put food on tables for families. We've helped people find temporary housing. We've helped people in their travels. Uh, We've attempted to help people find work. We have a desire to do that, but we want to do that in a way that is consistent with God's Word and brings glory to Him. Uh, Every year, we allot money in our budget to Community Benevolence, and we um, add to that supplementally uh, by the monies that we raise on our Benevolence Emphasis Sunday. Um, Additionally, we work to keep our food pantry stocked. Uh, We are able to give Bibles to people, to have conversations with them as they come in with various needs, sharing the gospel with them, asking them about their spiritual lives, Um, And recently, the elders and deacons have sought to dream big about what we could do um, in terms of our mercy ministry. Things like offering financial counseling and and job training and placement and and giving people skills for um, jobs they might need. In other words, we want to help where there is truly a need for help in a tangible sense while we are seeking to minister to our neighbors spiritually. And a big part of that, for many of you, is going to be things like uh, those who are being trained in biblical counseling. There is always a need for biblical counsel to be given alongside any kind of benevolent support. Now, Before I want to get to the text, I want to say this up front. Mercy ministry in the local church is very, very tough. There is no way around it. It's just tough. And for Christians, it's even more difficult because we love people. We want them to be cared for. We hate to see them in bad positions and difficult circumstances. And sometimes that's really painful to have to watch. In our hearts, we just want to give them everything that we have, we want to be very trusting of their stories, but we also have the theology of the Bible that tells us that neither one of those approaches is always wise. So mercy ministry requires from us a great deal of wisdom. It can be tough. Uh, Sometimes it doesn't seem like we can always know what the right answer is. In fact, I believe one of the most absolute difficult things that the church is called to do is mercy ministry, specifically as it relates to benevolence in our community. Some mercy ministry is rather straightforward. The Bible instructs us in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So within the body of Christ, the instruction given to us is that there should not be any unfulfilled needs so long as the church is able to meet those needs. And as a local church, we've sought to fulfill that obligation. Some of you have been recipients of the mercy of the body of Christ here when needs have arisen. That's anything from helping to pay bills and provide meals uh, to uh, receiving prayer and encouragement and visits, those kinds of things. But most specifically, the emphasis is on physical need, and we have never limited the amount of assistance we've been giving to someone in the body of Christ, so long as there's an actual need. So that aspect of mercy ministry is fairly straightforward from Scripture. But when it comes to people who come to us, people we've never met before, they ask for assistance. How do we determine if we should give them what they've requested? And if and when we do tell someone no, is there a clear way to know whether or not we should tell them yes? And Thankfully, the Lord hasn't just commanded us to love our neighbors But he's given us some instruction with regard to caring for them as well. And as we get into the text this morning, I'm doing so with an assumption that we already understand from the Bible. From start to finish, there is a prominent theme of urging God's people to care for those who are poor and those who are needy. The American evangelist Jonathan Edwards in one of his sermons said... Where have we any command in the Bible laid down in stronger terms and in more peremptory, urgent manner than the command of giving to the poor? It's an interesting statement. Now Edwards is considered by many who aren't even Christians, to be the greatest mind ever produced in America. He was a bright guy. He didn't make offhanded comments. And here he says, there's no command in the Bible laid down in a more clear and urgent way than the command to care for the poor. Now notice, he doesn't say there's nothing more important, but he says there's nothing more clear. So, what does the Bible say? And there are literally hundreds of texts we could use My heart is always drawn to Matthew chapter 4 because of the context within it, which it resides within. I believe it's one of the plainest and clearest and simplest statements in the Bible regarding showing mercy to others as the church. If you're using our blue ESV Bible, you can turn to page 811 and find the text. This is Jesus preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, And one of the important things to remember about the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is explaining, here's what life is, here's what life is like for those who are my followers, my disciples. So it's not so much him saying, do these things as commands, he's saying, if you are my children, if you are my disciples, this is what your life is marked by. You are citizens of the kingdom of God. You are those who have been adopted into the heavenly kingdom. And as such, we have lives that are uh, marked by certain things. It is a natural outflow of life with Christ. And we have union with Christ, and we're striving to live in communion with God. And so this is all a part of Christ saying, your life will be marked by this as a Christian And so we get to chapter 5 and verse 42, and Jesus is telling his disciples, My followers look like this. Their lives are marked by these things. And one of those things we read here, look with me, verse 42, he says, Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Well, I'll say up front, this morning things are different than usual. Um, Usually we pick a specific text as we're going verse by verse through books of the Bible. Um, We've been in Ephesians. We'll come back to Ephesians chapter 4. When I was in seminary, I had a professor who said, once every five years, preach a topical sermon and then repent. (laughs) But this morning we're doing that. Um, We need to consider... Uh, the Lord's teaching here specifically, comprehensively. Um, so we're going to look more broadly, but we're going to be focused as much as we can here on what the Bible is showing us from Matthew 5. Um, the biblical text is what guides us, even we lo- when we look at something topically. Well, I want to offer us a few guiding questions as we are seeking to think about mercy ministry in the local church and what that looks like. As we consider what it means to give to the one who begs and not refuse the one who would borrow. And the first question I want to ask us is this What is poverty? What is poverty? Now, in our minds, poverty is almost always thought of in terms of material wealth, but that's only one aspect of poverty. And in fact, I would say it's uh, probably the least important aspect of poverty. There are many people who are very, very rich materially, but are extremely poor in every other area of their lives. While there are many people who are very, very poor materially, but have other aspects of their lives wherein they're very rich. That would make all of us envious of what they truly have. But when we think of poverty only in terms of material wealth, our only response to poverty is to meet immediate material needs, assuming we're providing a lot of help by doing so. And let's be clear, in many situations, material assistance is needed, it is necessary, it is helpful. However, if we only focus on material assistance, we may be doing more harm than good in the long run. When we only provide people with material assistance, we are treating the symptoms of poverty. And we're not rightly diagnosing some of the deeper causes that brought them to a place of material poverty. So how can we define this biblically as to not adopt a mindset that has us only focusing on symptoms? We need to see that poverty is inherently tied to brokenness in at least four relationships that each one of us has. What are those four relationships? It's relationship with God, It's our relationship with ourselves, it's our relationships with others, and it's our relationship to creation. And when these relationships are functioning in a healthy way, as God intends them to function, we have fulfilling communion with God, we understand our own dignity and worth as those bearing the image of God, we have loving and growing relationships with others, We are actively and healthily stewarding God's creation and we we care for it and we utilize it in responsible and godly ways to provide for ourselves and our families. And all of us can attest to the fact that when these things are working well, we see the blessing of God, we see the benefits in all sorts of aspects of our lives. Our families are healthy and loving and nurturing, our work is meaningful and fulfilling because it has inherent worth in and of itself itself. And we are bringing glory to God in all that we do because we are living with a sense of purpose and direction as he has intended. But all four of those relationships have been badly damaged by the fall, haven't they? The fall of mankind, the fall of creation, has left a number of forces at work, not toward health and prosperity in our relationships, but brokenness and dysfunction and poverty. Sometimes our relationships are undermined by our own individual behaviors, our own personal sins, our unwillingness to be humbled or to be freed from addictions or uh, our self-serving desires or our idols that we run after. Other relationships are often undermined by abusive and uh, expletive people that bring about various forms of poverty in the lives of others. It can be oppressive systems, whether they're economic or political or social or religious. And they can make it very difficult. It can make it even impossible in some ways for some of the relationships to function properly. And we should not minimize the reality of demonic forces that are at war. There's a supernatural world that undermines the health of our relationships as well. So here's why I say all that. When it comes to thinking about The church's role in showing mercy, in giving to those who beg, in being merciful as our Father in heaven, is merciful. We cannot simply think in terms of meeting physical and monetary needs. In fact, when we do that... We are quite often not meeting any needs at all because we've not walked alongside them, depending on Christ's power to conquer the individual behaviors, to to deal with abusive people in their lives, the oppressive systems and the roles they play. And all of this may actually be more closely related to their poverty as it's being expressed materially. So let me frame this in a more personal way for all of us. Regardless of our income level, regardless of what any of us owns materially, we are all, every one of us, profoundly broken and in desperate need of the restorative work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, in all four of the relationships I've mentioned, If our first relationship with God is not reconciled, then none of the other relationships have any hope of being restored in any way that is healthy. Now, sure, some person may find uh, riches down the road when they once have nothing. But that doesn't mean anything about the healing of their relationships with others or with creation and how they use that. So friend, if you don't have a healthy, sustained relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you will remain in poverty because poverty is not about stuff. It's not about money. It's about whether or not God has intended you to be everything that God has you living and and working within and functioning as He's designed it to be. So the first step in alleviating poverty of every kind is putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, repenting of your sin, recognizing that you yourself are one of the primary causes of your poverty, your poverty of soul. It is only by looking to Christ that we find any help whatsoever in being freed from all of these things that are functioning to bring us further along in spiritual and material poverty. And we don't often want to admit it. We would rather focus on systems. We'd rather focus on other people. But at the heart of the truth of the gospel is that the biggest problem, the biggest problem rests right here with me. The biggest problem is my own heart. And so the greatest thing we can do to show mercy to anybody else is to help them see that their greatest poverty is a poverty of heart when they are without Christ. Their greatest need is to recognize their own sinful thoughts and behaviors and attitudes and idolatries that they would be repented of. And until we have that, we have no hope of life apart from what poverty really is. Now, for those who are Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, our healthy relationship with God has to be balanced with an understanding that when we're seeking to show mercy to others, it's not as those who have, providing for those who have not, but it's as those who have received while in need, giving and providing for those who are just like us. Here's what a wrong view of poverty does. For the materially poor, when the materially non-poor take on a mindset of, I have and you do not, therefore, I am high, you are low, you need me, you depend on me. If we have that kind of mindset, what is going to happen? Well, the materially non-poor are going to go even further into thinking, I am, um, uh, excuse me, the materially poor are going to go further into thinking, I am inferior I can't do it. Other people need to do it for me because they keep proving that to me over and over again that that's the case. So the result is that the materially poor become more passive, wanting others to fix their problems because they've been told that's how it's supposed to happen. In turn, the materially non-poor become very proud and think, I knew they wouldn't do anything about it. They're lazy, they don't want to work for it, they don't have initiative. Why don't they just do something with their lives? And so what's the result? Well, the shame of the materially poor is deepened, and the pride of the materially non-poor is enhanced, and both parties end up being more broken and more poor in their relationships than they were before. And so we actually create a greater divide of poverty than we had before it all started. So when we define poverty as we think about mercy ministry, the first major principle we need to take away is this. We were all profoundly broken people who deserve eternal punishment. But through Christ's death and resurrection, and absolutely by no merit of our own whatsoever, we are now adopted as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. And we have received... We have not earned, we have received, we have been given that which we once did not even want to take. And so we all have to be freed from our pride that we might instead walk in mutually transformative relationships with those who are poor. That we can both find healing to the ongoing brokenness in both of our lives. So what is poverty? Well, it includes the material But it's far more than the material, and it starts with the heart, and it starts with God. Second question, what is the church's responsibility in alleviating poverty? And right out of the gate, I hope we have a better sense of how to answer that question. Certainly, we can come to the conclusion that it's not that we simply pay bills and give out food Um, to those who ask for it, but that we need to think more holistically about the whole person, about all of their situation. The text says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. But notice it doesn't say, give to the one who begs from you exactly what they're asking for. In fact, in in many, if not most instances, we're doing more harm than good if that's our approach. However, we still have an obligation to consider the best approach to showing them mercy. Think about Luke chapter 10. Luke 10 is the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's sort of the classic text when you think about mercy ministry, and for good reason. What does Jesus teach us in that parable? Remember, Jesus is, he's uh, talking with the experts of the law and uh, the law expert comes to him and he says, how can I be saved? And Jesus says, well, it's simple, really. All you have to do is be righteous, completely and totally righteous. Well, obviously, he's sort of toying with the man in this whole conversation because we know that we can't be righteous on our own. That's our big problem. So what he's actually saying is, um, you who are a law expert, I want you to know that I actually take the law more seriously than you do. To fulfill the law is to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And it would have been right for the lawyer to say, well, I can't do that, but instead he's still working to trip up Jesus and so he tries to justify himself and he says, well, who's my neighbor? If that's the case, if that's how I fulfill the law, then who's my neighbor? And so Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this is pivotal in our understanding of giving to those who ask, in our understanding of alleviating poverty and showing mercy. Because there's a motive implied in Jesus' parable for those who are doing mercy. There's a motive implied regarding God's expectation of those who claim to be members of God's kingdom. In other words, if you say, I love my neighbor as myself, as is commanded, then you have to be the Samaritan. You can't get away from that. Well, what happens in the parable? The Samaritan is walking along a dangerous road, remember, and he comes along a Jew who's been beaten and robbed and in danger of dying. And this is after, remember, the Pharisee and the lawyer, they took the other side of the road to walk around one of their own kinsmen, Because they didn't want to be bothered, they had their own things going on, they were not going to show mercy. Now, Jesus uses this Samaritan man who comes across this beaten and bloodied Jew. And remember, the Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. But the Samaritan gets off his donkey and he does several things. He he gives a lot of money away because he provides medical treatment and a place for the man to stay. He provides transportation to him. He completely ruins his schedule to go out of his way to help him. He gets his hands dirty. He risks his life because he's in a very dangerous place. He takes the man in. Uh, he takes him to an inn. He puts him up. The idea that Jesus gives is that it's for several weeks, maybe months. So what is he doing here? He's meeting physical needs. He's meeting economic needs. He's meeting medical needs. He's meeting social needs. He's meeting material needs. And at the end of the parable, Jesus asks the law expert, Who's the hero in my parable? And the lawyer says, He doesn't even, he refuses to say anything good about a Samaritan. So he says, The one who showed mercy. Notice he sums up everything that the Samaritan did. All of the transportation, all of the money he gives, all of the the medical help he gives him, he summarizes all of it and he says, that was mercy. And so Jesus looks at the law expert and he says, you go and do likewise. Now what he's saying is if you're a person who makes a claim to be someone who loves your neighbor, this is what that will look like. Serving those who are abused, providing for those who are hungry, caring for those who have need, medically, physically, whatever, work with the people in the road and the people who are helpless. Work with those who are beaten down and bloodied and left for dead. It's strong language. The Bible's language is strong, and here's what it is. Those who have been redeemed by Christ and are walking in the righteousness of Christ that's been given to them, will be deeply involved in showing mercy to those who are in need. And if not, then there is no claim that we can make that we love our neighbors. If I've been shown mercy by God, I will show mercy in return. If I refuse to show mercy, I refuse to love my neighbor. And in doing so, I'm breaking the law of God. Now, there's actually two deadly traps in this, as we think about the church's role. Some people think the gospel is all about social activism and poverty alleviation, so they put all their eggs into that basket, and their theology and worship get completely lopsided, and they usually become um, heretics in short time. On the other side of the spectrum are people in churches who are scared to do anything at all because they don't want to have a social gospel and they just want to worship God, they just want to have great doctrine, but they don't actually do anything with it. That's equally as dangerous and perhaps in our context what we're more in danger of. But we have to be clear as a church. Mercy ministry isn't for social action people who want to go around giving your money to everyone else. Mercy ministry is the responsibility of the local church. It's a command from God. And it involves serving the whole person. So just because much of this responsibility has been handed over to the government, it doesn't mean that God has alleviated our responsibility to do so we still have that responsibility. So practically, what does that mean? It means we develop systems and processes by which to assess someone's need across a broad spectrum of various areas in life where there's relational poverty, beginning with God and working with others. We need to meet immediate needs to stop the bleeding of whatever situation a person is working through so we can move toward actual rehabilitation in all of their relationships. And here's what that means. It means working with someone over time, not just sending them on their way by paying their bill and giving them a bag of food. It means we tell them about Jesus. It means we seek to understand what their relationship is with God or whether or not they have one at all. And we offer them things like biblical counseling and financial counseling to help them think rightly and biblically and to get whatever resources that we have that they do not so that they can get these things in order. Brothers and sisters, we talk so often about using our spiritual gifts, especially, especially recently as we've looked in the book of Ephesians. And this is it. This is where many of you have spiritual gifts That can be used in really important ways. For example, if you're a manager or you're a boss of some kind, do you think you have something to offer someone who has never sat through a job interview and they don't know what to say or how to say it? What to wear, how to present themselves? Maybe you've read a lot of resumes. You could help someone put one together. We have several people who are very good with finances. How about walking with someone who's in debt, helping them to organize and set a plan and pay that stuff off and live within their means? Do you know what all of this is? Do you know what all of those things are when you're using your gifts in those ways? That is loving our neighbors. It's loving our neighbors. It's showing mercy. It's showing that we really do care about the whole person and their family. And we're not just doing something to say we did it, but we're showing mercy. And it's leading into, we pray, the Lord working in their hearts, bringing them to faith in Christ that we can now disciple them. And eventually them understanding their own spiritual gifts that they can be used in the same way. That's it. That's what we're doing. We're providing relief. We're working toward rehabilitation. Eventually, we want to see development where the materially poor and the materially non-poor are closer to being in right relationship with God, with themselves, with others, with all of creation, more so than they've ever been in the past, so that while they may remain materially poor, there will be no relational poverty at all. And from there, we see growing development. And for the materially poor who are able bodied, development includes moving toward fulfilling their calling, glorifying God by working and supporting themselves and their families. And if they're in Christ, discovering what their spiritual gifts are and putting those to use in the body of Christ, that they might be a blessing to others as well. So, the role of the church is to provide relief, to work toward rehabilitation using our spiritual gifts as we walk with them. And most of us have a hard time with that because that means we have to get into difficult, uncomfortable, and messy relationships. But all of this is not done to people and for people, but we have to do it with people. And if we really want to help people, if we really want to show them mercy, to the family of five with a 40-year-old father who had a stroke and can't work, we say, yes, we will provide mercy by giving you relief and paying your electric bill. But to the single 25-year-old man who can't keep a job and can't pay his bills, we say, yes, we're willing to show you mercy, but are you open and willing to explore the reasons why you're struggling here? And are you willing to do what's necessary to avoid this in the future? Can we help you make the necessary changes in your life? And this, brothers and sisters, this is giving to those who ask. Sometimes people don't realize what they're asking for. Or they ask for something they don't need. And we are able to be more objective and point them toward a better way that honors God in the long run. Well, lastly, how do we proceed? I want to admit something to you in all of this. We are not there yet as a church. We don't have all of the systems and processes in place to do this as we ought. So, what can we do? Well, first, as a body of Christ, we need to pray. We need to pray that God would give us a desire and a right conviction as the body of Christ to think about how we can better use our resources and our gifts to do real, fruitful, healthy mercy ministry. We are on our way to being trained, many of you, in biblical counseling. Some of you have been able to use your gifts in other ways recently. So let's pray that God would help us to bring all of that together to provide a more holistic mercy ministry to our neighbors. Secondly, all of this does in fact require sacrifice from every member of the body of Christ, not just our material resources. We need to give, and the Bible calls us to give freely and cheerfully. And we might struggle to do that, but be reminded of Jesus' words in Luke 6. He says, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Listen, we may be called on by God to show mercy to people who don't, we don't particularly want to show mercy to. And I assure you, there are times when we're called on to show mercy to those who will be wildly and shockingly ungrateful. But what are we called to do? Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. You see, meeting the needs of others, showing mercy and giving to those who ask as children of God isn't something we do because it's simply our duty. We do it because it's out of a sheer delight. That God has continuously shown mercy to us. Shall we not cheerfully and freely give to the mercy of others? I pray that God would give us merciful hearts that we might love others around us with what we have and with who we are and with what we're gifted to do. And don't forget that we are just like them in need of Christ, just like them, in need of mercy, just like them, in possession of something that God has given me that I might bless them with mercy. Our faith without works is dead. But our faith put to work is a glorious, merciful, cheerful endeavor. And when we understand that, and we begin to move from seeing us and them and start seeing all of us together in need of the very same things for the very same reasons, then we see the Lord doing amazing things in his body. So we need to pray. We need to give. Lastly, we need to get busy. How do your gifts align with the call of God on the church to love our neighbors in mercy ministry? That's a question I want all of us to contemplate. And let us know, talk to the deacons, talk to the elders. What can you do and how can you serve? So when people come to us and we are made aware of their needs, that we can be standing ready to serve them and to walk with them in relief and rehabilitation and development. And we pray in time and discipleship. Let's be ready to give to those who ask and not caught off guard. Not just what they want but what they really need and what we're able to provide. May the Lord help us as we seek to show mercy to those who are in great need of mercy just like us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word, for Your instruction this morning. And I pray specifically, Lord, that You help us to think about the principles of Your Word, the commands of Your Word, that we would be faithful in seeking to show mercy in loving our neighbors. Lord, if we all think honestly within our hearts, we often struggle to want to do this. We don't want to be taken advantage of. We don't want to serve those who might be ungrateful, but your word tells us very clearly that will happen. But Lord, may we be more willing than ever to be thought of fools for loving others than to be those who are unwilling to serve and unwilling to show mercy. Father, help us as a local church to be more thoughtful about this, to be more useful for your kingdom's sake as we seek to love our neighbors by showing them mercy, using our resources, using our gifts. And we pray, God, that you would use all of that to bring about a great harvest that souls would be brought to Christ and you'd be pleased to make new creations in Christ, that they too could add their gifts to the body. And we pray, God, wanting all of this, ultimately that you would be glorified, that your church would be built up and encouraged and made all the more faithful. Father, we don't have a long time on this earth, and we want what we do to mean something, to last that we can rejoice forever and ever in what you've done through us as we've been here. Do all of this in us, through us, for your own sake, for your own glory, and for the good of your church, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.